The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Again, we are involved in looking at our Blue Sky Chronicles, a walk through the Gospels, seeing uh, the walk of our Lord Jesus Christ from the standpoint of the God-man. And hopefully we'll look at a few challenges that, uh, if I could put it that way, as though God has a challenge, really. But uh, we're going to look at a few challenges because, remember, this is a, a totally new experience and uh, wrapped in that, encased in that fleshly body that is the son of uh, Joseph and Mary is really God incarnate. And today we're going to look at the uh, Beatitudes. Uh, this is always an interesting portion of Scripture because a, a lot of people tend to, myself included, have gone down that list and wondered which ones, which of the uh, Beatitudes, which of the blessednesses uh, I'm successful at and which ones uh, do I lag behind as a runner who's running in last place, uh, kind of. Uh, but we're really going to look at, uh, at the Beatitudes from the standpoint of here is the God-man uh, seeing the crowds, we are told in the scriptures, and he went up into the mountain and having sat down, his disciples came to him and having opened his mouth, he taught them saying, and then he proceeded to uh, speak of the blessedness of uh, people who are, uh, if you will, poor in spirit and they that mourn and those that are, you know, uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness and the merciful and the pure in heart. And uh, there are about seven of these uh, blessedness type of characteristics. But I, I'd like to, to uh, create a context for all of us to look at, at this paradigm. Let's go back, for example, to Numbers 22. And in Numbers 22, that was when uh, Balak, the king of the Moabites, wanted to curse Israel. He saw the multitudes spread out over the landscape, and, and uh, he was fearful. Uh, and uh, so he sent an, uh, an entourage to Balaam, and Balaam had some unique sort of abilities, for lack of a better word, because evidently he had the power to bless and curse, I think more cursing than blessing. But in that, uh, in the context of the Old Testament and during that time, some men had some peculiar abilities, uh, which uh, escapes my understanding. Nevertheless, uh, he uh, sent uh, an entourage to engage Balaam to counsel with Jehovah. 
and, and curse Israel. And I don't think Balak really thought, you know, I want you to go to Jehovah and, and get his blessing on cursing the people. But they knew what this man was capable of. And they wanted him to curse Israel. And so uh, uh, Balaam says to them, well, let me go to Jehovah and see what he says. And in, in the eighth to about the 13th verses, Jehovah told him not to go. But the, uh, the circumstance really begins to uh, become a bit more lively because when uh, the entourage went back to Balak, uh, he essentially upped the ante and uh, <laughs> promised more of a reward, a bigger reward, if he would curse Israel. And so the second time around, Jehovah grants him the request to go, but not to say anything more than what he had told him the first time. Now, what's really interesting about this is after Balaam leaves the presence of Jehovah, Jehovah sends an angel to slay him. And so now he gets into a, if you will, uh, uh, a struggle of the wills to get this, this ass that he was riding to go in the direction but the, the, the ass saw the angel that would slay them. And so he took a different turn. But the net result was, you know, Balaam was angered and he began to uh, flog this dumb beast. Now, what's interesting about this, what, what I think is extraordinary, actually, is that, first of all, uh, the ass sees <laughs> what the rider can't. So that creates a bit of confusion as to <laughs> which one is the dumb beast, but I'll leave that there for our purposes. And what was interesting is this, this animal was given the capacity to communicate. And what is even more extraordinary is that Balaam doesn't even realize that he is conversing with the ass that he's riding. And it never struck him that he is speaking with an animal. And there this animal, whose eyes have been opened and whose mouth has been enabled to speak by the power of the working of the Spirit of God, communicates with a man, and ultimately saves his life. So the takeaway here, as we, you can always go back to Numbers uh, 22 and look at the 23rd to about the 30th verse, and you'll see how this this ass was communicating with a man who was flogging it. And all he knew is that it, he was not going to be able to accomplish his purpose because this animal would not submit. But the key here is that it is the Spirit of God that works the impossible in the physical world in granting intelligence an understanding mind so as to communicate in a language that the man could understand. 
And this is an extraordinary miracle because this type of beast is uh, in the form of a synonym. (laughs) Um, You know, people use uh, the term of an ass, this this animal, to uh, identify or to characterize, to use as an adjective, uh, a pejorative about people. And they would say, you're dumb as, you know, what? <laughs> and, but God does an impossible work in opening the understanding of a beast that is known for its stupidity and dullness. And then we can make a right turn to Samson, who was one of the judges. And and you'll find the story of his life beginning in Judges 13, uh, where his parents, of course, his mother was told, uh, concerning uh, Samson's birth. And the key here is that no razor was to come on his head. And essentially, the fact that his hair would never be cut was the key to his extraordinary strength. But there's a little more to it because, you know, many of us could say, well, I'm, you know, as a child, if I have a child, I'm not going to cut his hair because I want him to be strong like Samson. So it's not really in the hair in and of itself where his strength resides. But his strength resides when his parents and ultimately Samson himself in his lifetime would yield to the mandate of God in humble obedience. And then we find, for example, in verse 25 of chapter 13 of Judges that it was the spirit that came upon him because he was a yielded man. So now we see that God the Spirit works yet again the impossible in a person giving him superhuman strength. In fact, if we were to go back to uh, Genesis Uh, the first three chapters, the creation of the world and ultimately of man and then the fall of man, the secret to man's fellowship and knowledge of and experience of the living God came not because of a fruit, but came because of the response to the command of God. It could have been any fruit. But as a moral creature, he was given the ability to choose and he chose to disobey God. Now, we'll, we'll come to that a little later in our podcast. But the point that I would like to emphasize here is in the first scenario with Balaam's donkey, this dumb beast was given the capacity to communicate. Its nature was such that it is synonymous with being dull. And people are Uh, characterized by use of a pejorative that a person is as 
you know, they would say, as dumb as a jackass. And you know that when you are characterized that way, that they're saying that you are really dull. <laughs> but God takes this animal that is synonymous with dullness and stupidity and inability to, to do, it, it has to be dealt with, I guess, harshly. It's a beast of burden. And in the second case, a man, an ordinary man, was given extraordinary strength. Not because of the fact of his hair, but because of the submission to the mandate of God, allowing the spirit to have his way. And this judge was able to overcome the enemies of Israel. His power resided in his yielded obedience, resulting in extraordinary strength, extraordinary intelligence and ability, extraordinary strength. And we have, of course, uh, speaking of intelligence, we have Solomon and Solomon's wisdom. The, the fact of Solomon's wisdom makes him renowned among men. And in a dream by night, as Jehovah spoke to him and gave him a choice of what he would want, and he asked for an understanding heart, a heart that hears. In fact, in the original language, it's a, it's a hearing heart, a sensitive heart, a heart that is responding to God, a discerning heart. And we are told in the narrative that this pleased Jehovah. And Jehovah gave Solomon a wise and understanding heart. He had been given the very thing he asked for, which pleased God. And so we have a third circumstance in which the Spirit of God imparted fresh grace to a man's being. First, the ability and intelligence to communicate with a human being this ability being given to a dumb, dull beast of burden. And he was able to speak with its master. In the second scenario, a man was given extraordinary strength because he was willing to yield it to God on one point of obedience. And that is, a razor would never come to his hair. And we know from the narrative that his downfall initially came because he told the secret and he was compromised by the uh, pagan woman that he loved. And of course, one of the greatest kings, one of the wisest men, perhaps one of the wealthiest men that ever walked the face of the earth, Solomon, was given extraordinary wisdom and understanding to the point where he became renowned among men. So where are we going with this? Where are we going with this? Well, we come to uh, <laughs> the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. And the Lord Jesus, seeing the crowd, begins to teach them. And what he teaches, since he is speaking to a crowd, applies to every person. And it addresses what we tend to do. In other words, 
all we need to ask ourselves is what is the antithesis? What is the opposite of these blessedness characteristics? And we will find exactly what we are. And in some cases, he gives the why of the blessing, the why of the thing that makes us uh, a blessed person. But before I get there, let's take into account the scenario, the, the context in which this is being said. And in this particular case, we need to realize that we are in a cosmos that has been infected and permeated with sin. We are told, for example, in uh, Romans 5, verse 12, that for this cause, even as by one man, sin entered the world, the cosmos, and, and by sin, death. Thus, death passed upon all men, for all sinned. So when Adam fell, we were in him, and he, by virtue of his disobedience, threw the portals of the cosmos open and in entered sin and death followed. And so every man, however good and moral he might be, dies. And this, my friends, is the scenario that the, the God-man is coming into. He's not coming into a perfect scenario. He's coming into a sin-cursed, fallen cosmos. And now he's about to teach about the blessedness of a human being who essentially has to be indwelt by the Spirit of God because the character and characteristics that he's describing is of a, if you will, heavenly man who lives in a cursed cosmos, in a sin-cursed environment, a fallen world. By one man sin entered, death by sin. So death reigned. Death reigned. And what would, what would be necessary is what uh, the Lord Jesus said, for example, to Nicodemus about the need for the rebirth, to be born again. There needs to be a resurrection of a dead spirit. And only the Spirit of God can do that. In fact, in John chapter 3, when, when the Lord Jesus was teaching Nicodemus, who is the teacher in Israel, he said, the wind blows where it will, you hear the sound of it, and you don't know from whence it comes and where it goes. So is everyone that is what? Born of the Spirit. The new birth is a work of the Spirit of God. The ability of a jackass to be able to speak is a work of the Spirit of God. The ability to uh, possess superhuman strength is not by birth, it is by impartation of the work of the Spirit of God. The wisdom that excels all men on the earth is not by birth, it is granted by God and executed by the work of the Spirit of God. Now, when the Spirit of God comes in, that human being possesses a dual nature, an old man and a new man. The old, the, 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 uh, the me in Adam, and the new, the Christ in me. We are told that by the disobedience of man, of one man, many have been constituted, declared by God to be sinners. But when the Spirit of God comes into our lives and makes us his temple, 
a new environment is created where both old man and new man dwell simultaneously within the same fleshly body. And so Paul, for example, can write to the Colossian church and say, well, do not lie to one another, having put off the old man with his deeds. So there's a, if you will, a putting off and a putting on, a relinquishing of, and an, uh, if you will, an apprehension of what is new. Now you're asking yourself, well, how can that be? How can I do that? Well, Paul, again, writing to the Colossian church later on in the third chapter, uh, he again exhorts them to having put on the new, that is, being renewed into full knowledge according to the image of him that has created him. So God is in the process of creating a different, a new Christian. That is my name. So um, he's creating a new me as he wants to with you. But it necessitates renewed knowledge. There are some things I need to understand. One of the things I need to understand is the same Spirit of God that makes a donkey, a dumb beast, a dull beast speak intelligently is the same Spirit that is going to have to work in my life in creating into my life and sowing into my life and manifesting in my life these beatitudes, which we will come to. And the same spirit that creates the intelligence in a dull beast is the same spirit that must impart the strength of character and being to live this out. And that self-same spirit that gave one man extraordinary Wisdom and understanding is the same spirit that will have to energize and strengthen me in my new man. And so Paul could say, and rightly so to the church at Galatia, that there is a struggle. There is a battle between these two natures. Both natures, the Spirit of God has desires for me and you. The flesh has its desires for me and you. And Paul says that the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these things are opposed to one another that you should not do the things which you desire. But Paul gives some significant truths in the book of Galatians, which we won't touch on now, but I want to say this, and this is vital. He told them in the second chapter, I am crucified, or in the original language, I have been, and I still am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. So you talk about renewed knowledge. One of the things that the Spirit of God is teaching us that the position and view and walk by faith of the Christian is I walk on this earth a crucified man. Now, I can't, you know, Paul says, I, you know, I'm crucified daily. But we are told, for example, in Romans 8, that we put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. It is a reliance, a dependence, 
a leaning upon, a looking to the Spirit of God to accomplish in me that which I heretofore could not do. A Christian does not have the excuse of never growing in grace. There is no excuse. Why? Because the same spirit that allowed a dumb, dull beast to speak intelligently with the man and empowered a man with extraordinary strength and empowered another man with extraordinary wisdom is the same spirit of God that indwells you and me and has called us to lean, to rely, to look to, to trust him to do in me what I cannot do. I therefore must recognize that when Christ was crucified, Romans 6, I was crucified also. And that has not changed. It is the position that the Christian takes by faith. Christ was crucified and I with him. And daily renewing that position of faith. I have been crucified. There is a dual struggle. I must yield. But if I'm going to yield, I must yield to the Spirit of God and look to him to do what only he alone can. In fact, I just want to make a reference to a previous podcast, which is so important. When we were looking at the the Lord Jesus going into the wilderness, three of the gospel writers gave just a, a, a slightly different vantage point of 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 this experience that he was about to go into. And one of them, one of the writers said that he was carried by the Spirit into the wilderness. Another said he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And another said he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And the, 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 the original language is so beautiful in that in one uh, uh, example where he was carried, it was like a passenger in a boat going from one destination to the other. And he knew what he was going to. He knew what he was going to accomplish. And then in the other, where it says he was driven, it was similar to when he drove the, the money changers out of the temple. They were scorched and whipped right out of the temple. He drove them out. And so the Spirit of God took, as it were, full control of the Lord Jesus Christ And he had no will of his own. He was, as it were, a slave, a bond slave. And he was driven into the wilderness. And then the last writer said that he was led. And the the, the term, the language that was used was that of the the, uh, little children that were brought to the Lord Jesus, you know, willingly and trustingly. And, And the Lord Jesus said, so is the kingdom of God. That's how we enter into the kingdom of God. Like little children, trusting what has been told to them and leaning on the the, the character and love of the one that they look up to. Well, guess what, my friends? That is exactly what we're doing when we walk in the power of the Spirit of God to allow him to bring into our lives these be attitudes. I go forward in my life trusting him that whatever circumstance comes, he will grace me with what is necessary for that hour. I go forward trusting the Spirit of God that I am willing to be a slave to his leading. I go forward in the Spirit of God trusting the loving providential care of my Father that what I have now walked into as a new circumstance, I have his gracious and loving promise that he causes all things to work together for good 
for my good because I've set my love on him. And so the Lord Jesus, seeing the crowds, begins to teach them (laughs) what the heavenly man looks like in a sin-cursed cosmos. Now that the Spirit of God has come down, the same Spirit that makes a dull beast speak, a weak man strong, a dumb man wise. He has come to make his temple in me. I'm told in 1 Corinthians 6, 17 that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. I'm joined to him. He's joined to me. It's an amazing truth. The spirit of God, the, sec- the third person of the Trinity, joined to my spirit that he resurrected from the dead when I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior and now embrace him as the Lord of my life. I am his temple. Romans 8.13, he is my power. My power to live as God calls me to live. And given that we are in a sin-cursed, death-permeated cosmos, it is an impossible circumstance for anyone to live a separated life. It's impossible. None of us can do so in our strength. I don't care who you are. It's impossible. The same way it was impossible that a dumb ass can speak to a man, or it is impossible that a man was given superhuman strength, or it is impossible that a man was given a wealth of knowledge and understanding when he never went to school for it. It came from above. Those are impossibilities, and so too, the man or woman who looks at these beatitudes and asks themselves, what would my life look like When the Spirit of God comes down, joins himself to my spirit, an ordinary human being, and now wants to change my dumb, dull nature, my weak nature, my unintelligent nature, into that of a heavenly man. He gives me a heavenly demeanor. And you ask, well, what would that look like on earth? A sin-infected cosmos. Well, I'm a person who is bankrupt in spirit. And he says that I will be blessed as one who is poor in spirit. Why? Because I'm drawing life from the father of spirits himself. He says that I'm blessed because I mourn. And you ask, well, why should a person be happy to mourn? Well, I'll tell you my thought. Many times we offend God in what we say and what we think and what we do. And we are so insensitive to the presence of the Spirit of God that we're not even aware of how brute we are with his gentle, sweet, all-powerful, life-transforming Holy Spirit. And so when he gives us a view of who we are and what we are, as he sees us, we mourn. And from God's perspective, from the perspective of a heavenly man, this is a good thing. Because now we have embraced in our being the view of God 
of my life, of my being. And when we mourn, it's because we have experienced very often loss. We've experienced loss. And now I mourn because I saw and see that my life isn't what it ought to be before this holy, righteous, loving God who set his affections on me. I mourn because I'm not what I ought to be, and that's what I want to be. If you were to go to heaven right now, all the creatures and all the beings that are there want only what God wants. And the only ones that didn't want it will ultimately cast out and cast down to the earth with the sentence of judgment upon them. In fact, we find that in, in Mark 5 when the demoniac at Gadara came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, the legion that was in him asked the Lord Jesus, have you come to destroy us before the time? Their doom is certain. And the Lord Jesus speaks of those who are meek and what their inheritance would be and those who are hungry for righteousness, for what is right. None of us want what is right by nature. We're not meek. Moses was the meekest man. Why? He never fought with people. He took his issues to Jehovah. He let Jehovah fight his battles. Many of us are quick-tempered and want to fight our own battles, want to get even. And Paul even said it to the Corinthian uh, believers that <laughs> they take one another to court. They weren't meek. The Spirit of God did not have them. Hence, he could teach them in both letters that their bodies are the temple of the Spirit of God. They're not meek. And this, this willingness to allow the Spirit of God to work a change in me has to be with my consent. In fact, my dear friends, I want to say this to you. Whatever the next trial is, the next challenge, I ask you to do this. When it happens, thank God for it. Thank him for it. Tell him, Father, thank you. You are changing me. And this has come because of your allowance. Help me, grace me to embrace it and not resist what you are working in my life. I tell you this, if you continue to make this the response to unknown circumstances, like a person getting into a boat, going into a, going to a certain destination, willingly walking into the circumstance, trusting that your heavenly father has in providential loving care, taking you into his arms and will walk you through, take you through the trial that you're facing. And he speaks of the merciful and the pure-hearted. These are graces and qualities, characteristics that the Spirit of God works into, fuses into our being when we are willingly embracing the circumstance as it comes to us. But I want to remind you, you said, is, you said Christian, is this possible? Can God change me like this? The answer is yes, he can. The same way he allowed a dumb, dull beast to communicate with a man, a weak man to receive superhuman strength, an unintelligent man to have almost limitless knowledge and wisdom. When it comes to life in this cosmos, life under the sun, pure-hearted people, 
peacemaking people. We're not like that by nature. We want to fight. (laughs) We want to defend our honor to the death. (laughs) We want to start, if you will, a holy war (laughs) in the name of our good name. But the last of these blessednesses is to be persecuted. Because when the Spirit of God changes a person's character, (laughs) and we want and do often mourn when we see ourselves, we resist retaliation, we hunger for what is right, extending mercy when we could have extended judgment and wanting to set our eyes and hearts on God, pure-hearted people, peacemaking people. When we live this way, we will draw the fire, the persecution, the, the retaliation, the dislike of those around us. Why? Because they see a transformed life, a dumb, dull person speaking about heavenly things, living it out, a weak man being made strong, dull in understanding, being transformed as wise by the presence of the Spirit of God. Oh, my friends, it is moments like these when we draw near to God beside still waters, asking him to work in our lives what only he alone can work to grant us a changed character, to grant us the grace and strength to do what pleases him, to give us an understanding heart that his word may come alive to our hearts and minds, and our ultimate desire is to bring pleasure to to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul could write to the church at Ephesus, as beloved children walk in love, as Christ loved us, and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet aroma. We are the beneficiaries of a life lived to please God, and as we quiet our hearts beside still waters, let our desire be, O God, help me to want to please you, and let others be blessed by my willing submission my looking to you to be the strength of my life, the opening of my understanding that I might speak words that bless and heal and strengthen and encourage, all for the glory of God. I pray that this would be your desire as you quiet your hearts beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.